welcome back to another episode of the Listen In Podcast with Jake and Sean. Uh, we're, we're in the cut. We're in the basement right now. All uh, excited. This is episode 16. It's our sweet 16. It, that's a fitting oh. number for us to have reached. It's almost like we planned it. That's right. We didn't plan we, it. We hardly plan a thing. We don't. Yeah, there's, there's usually like tenuous notes we write <laughs> up before the episode. No planning went into the fact that this is the sweet 16th episode. So, yeah, we're 16 years old. We just got our driver's license. Yeah. Well, no, and I was saying, like, because of the Sweet 16 in our bracket, which we're going to be talking oh, about. Oh, no, I, oh, yeah, I know. Oh, you got that. To, to parallel our fictional podcast life, we just got our driver's license, got ya. though. Got yeah. Ya. We're out, like, we, at our first job. Yeah. Like, Going to, like, our, the first party where there's alcohol and we're not comfortable because we're nervous. That wasn't me. That was, like, I was, that wasn't until I was, like, 17. Oh, it wasn't me anyway. Yeah. It wasn't me either. I was trying to capture, like, the essence of, oh, like, sure, that sure, experience. Sure. Yeah. Like, oh, me neither. Yeah. Me neither. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't have like. I didn't have a place to be like where I could party when I was sixteen. No, me neither. Yeah, but um, yeah. So we're sixteen years old now. <laughs> Off um, the rails. So in today's episode, we wanted to talk about uh, best lead singers of all time. Uh, so on level4media.net, uh, we have been writing a collection of posts um, in a March Madness style bracket. Of the best lead singers, front men, front women of all time. We are up to the round of the Sweet 16. We have 16 left. Uh, so we kind of wanted to talk about what some of the the big, interesting matchups have been so yeah. far. And I think a, a quick precursor to this discussion is if I recorded a short mini podcast introducing these. Uh, I don't think a ton of people listen to it, but basically what it was about was just that, um, like, the whole idea was more to see what the storylines would become when when these <laughs> lead singers compete in these theoretical like games or competitions. It was more about the storyline than it was about objectively finding the best lead singer of all time. I think if you read the posts on level4media.net, you'll see that that is the case. So yeah, where do we want to jump in? We want yeah, to Yeah, so well, I I think just for anyone who isn't aware, uh just the general bracket yes, kind bra- of format. format. So we mirrored the bracket that is used for the NCAA March Madness basketball tournament mm-hmm. where you start out with 64 teams and then it it kind of gets cut in half they're, every single round. And they're equally divided into four regions to start. I'm, I'm actually do, making a grid with my hands, which right. the listeners can't see. But what <laughs> we'll I was trying to, to indicate, what I was trying to, right, and that's coming up. In the very distant future. But what I was trying to indicate is that there's a rectangle split into quadrants, which is what one of these brackets looks like. So we split up the 64 lead singers we picked by re, um, era, which we're calling regions. So we have a 60s and 70s era, an 80s era, 90s, and then the 21st century. And so that's how we divided it. We, within each of those, uh, ranked somewhat objectively, trying our best to be objective, the first through 16th like best lead singers of of those eras. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, like Jake said, we tried to objectively rank people. Like, so, for example, in the 60s and 70s region, we had Freddie Mercury as our number one overall seed. With Mick Jagger as a number two. Right, and it went on from there. Um, you know, in the 90s, we had Kurt Cobain as the number one seed. And then kind of as you get lower in the seeds, you get kind of less well-known or or less famous or less talented people. Um, And then what we decided to do was just kind of do some write-ups, create like a storyline around these that kind of matches the the craziness that happens during March Madness with all the upsets, the Cinderella stories, um, and things like that. So if you want more detail on this fictional bracket, 
like Jake said. <laughs> give it a read. Uh, yeah, give it a read. It's it's a, actually a pretty like funny, compelling story when you yeah. when you read them all. If you like that sort of thing, and I do, yeah. and I've been reading it, yeah. well, I wrote it, so I guess I should <laughs> like it. But I, I think it's kind of cool. Like the idea, I think it's fun to imagine what would happen if hypothetically Jim Morrison was was forced to compete for his lead singer life against an Elvis Presley. Who would come out on top? Right. And and that's the kind of stuff you you'll see in there. So I, I think it's kind of it's really just more about having fun with it. Yeah, exactly. And it actually has generated a little bit of uh, controversy sure over has. over Twitter. Well, pretty much everyone who's seen it has something to say, has oh, some complaint, and some issue. And that's the fun with a bracket like this or just any sort of best of list is right. like People are going to disagree. It's the nature of it. Especially with something so subjective like music, especially with something that's so close to people's hearts where they might love Jim Morrison but hate Elvis. And they'll be, you know, flabbergasted as to how we could have Elvis beating Jim Morrison or vice versa. Spoiler alert, even though we're going to be talking about these openly during the podcast. But yeah, the thing is, is that we, you know, like I said on the mini pod, uh, it, it, we tried our best to be objective with it, but at the, at the end of the day, like, you know, we're not necessarily fans of everyone on right. these the, in these regions in these in the bracket. Like, we tried to like represent the eras as accurately as we possibly could, and I think there are some things we missed. Like, for example, we noticed we didn't include Neil Young. Some people pointed out that we didn't include Lennon and McCartney, which was by design, though, Sean, because we thought within the Beatles, neither was really the front man. And and so on. So like there, are, you know, there's things here and there that you know maybe people will disagree with. But I think overall, when you say we, I think we did a decent job, I including think so the too. major ones. Yeah. Oh, we hit all the major ones. I think anyone would. I mean, yeah. There's going to be some people who maybe think that one of their favorites was left out. But we did the best we could. This is all for fun, anyways. Um, so you know, you can check it out at level4media.net. Or follow us on Twitter at level four underscore media, and you can see as we update the bracket, we'll be yeah. tweeting that out. In fact, do both of those things. Yeah, do both. Check, check out, out the website. Check out both. Click on a lot of stuff while you're there. <laughs> and also, stay on long enough where you won't affect our bounce rate, because that's not good for SEO. <laughs> um, so what we wanted to do is talk about some of the most interesting first-round matchups just as kind of uh, to, to set the frame for talking about yeah. some of the, the biggest lead singers of, of all time. Um, so we actually had, to start off, we had a pretty huge upset in the first round. This is kind of our Cinderella story of the first round. We had a two-seed, um, Matt Bellamy of Muse, lead singer of Muse, going up against a 15-seed, another Matt B, Matt Berninger, of the national right so jake and i are huge national fans we are kind of lukewarm to muse you know they're not they're not bad they're not one of our favorites they're just kind of there but objectively matt bellamy we understand is one of the most sort of energetic popular commercially successful and famous lead singers of the 21st century and so it wouldn't have been fair for us to uh, like seed Matt Berninger higher so Berninger is a lower seed because he's in a sort of a well they're famous now but generally they've been kind of an underdog story the national and so he's not someone who's going to be seeded high going into the tournament and that I think worked well to the Cinderella story that we we like sort of ended up wanting to write with him. It did because f- when we determined who our winners were actually going to be, we let our own personal biases, our <laughs> likes and our dislikes seep into that because it makes for a more fun story. Yeah. So Jake and I both love the National. We've both seen the National a few different times. We've seen firsthand 
how great of a front man Matt Berninger actually is. We kind of have an intimate knowledge with that. Um, so this is like if you're a fan of Florida Gulf Coast and you've been seeing them dunk on people all year and you're like, no, they're going to win a first round game. They're going to beat Georgetown in the first round. This is kind of that insider knowledge. Or or it was like this year where we had a in the actual NCAA tournament, we had a 15 seed up and a, a two seed in, right. in Middle Tennessee, right? That's Being right. Michigan State. Yep. And so. I think the logic with this was just like in this in the idea of this theoretical tournament. It's like Matt Bellamy totally slept on on Burninger. Didn't, didn't take him seriously. Didn't take him seriously. And Burninger had more, you know, with his drinking wine on stage and his occasional screams and his sort of wandering yep. into the crowd and the sad baritone performance. You know, I think he has a lot to offer, and I think you know he would be. 15 seed who'd make some noise. Yeah, exactly. And I did want to highlight some of the cool things. You you mentioned a few there. Like Matt Berninger is, you know, he gets kind of drunk on stage. He he does inter- interject some some screams into his normal low baritone voice, which is really cool to, to hear. Um, he goes into the crowd during a couple songs and will just kind of like drag the microphone and the microphone cord with him and people will just be swarming him in the crowd and shouting into the mic with him like god bless him for doing that because he has actually said multiple times he's like yeah people are always trying to like grab my dick when i go out into the crowd and just like he's like i pretty much get molested when i'm out there but i love doing it it's a lot of fun he's taking one for the team he is and it makes for a really cool fun engaging show experience for people yeah um when i saw the national at Boston Calling. I was literally an arm's length away from him. I didn't get to touch him, but he was probably like five feet away from me. There you go. Uh, which was really really cool. And then I've seen other performances where you know he's gotten up on like amplifiers or speakers on the side of the stage, or will like be balancing on like little outcroppings next to the stage and stuff. He pretty much commands your attention at all times as a lead singer. Yeah, and. He, he doesn't play an instrument like a lot of the other front men like on Matt this Bellamy list does. do. So he kind of has to be a really engaging front man and just kind of do everything just with his stage presence rather than his instrumentation. Yeah, he's he's uh, definitely a really powerful performer and and like he's it's fun to go to a national show. More fun than you'd think it would be based on the sound of their music. And I think like again, part of this is biased. Maybe in a totally objective version of this, Matt Bellamy wins. But at the end of the day, like you said, it's not that fun to do that. Like, why would we bother? Like, we would. Could you just rank them if we wanted to right. do that? Just do a ranking, right. which we did, and then we were having fun with the way the actual competitions right. go down. And so I think in the fictional version of this, he just, you know, Matt Bernier sneaks up on him a little bit. And you could also make an argument that that kind of mirrors the National and Matt Berninger's career, where yeah. they were underdogs their entire career. Right. People kind of doubted them. They they didn't hit it big when they were young. They had to wait until they were in their mid to late 30s before they got really, really big. Um, and they kind of snuck up on people. So exactly. I think that's a perfect comparison, and that's kind of what we wanted. It was kind of art imitating life in in the bracket that we made up. Yeah. So that was our first huge... Uh, the biggest upset by biggest far upset. of the tournament. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as well in the first round, we wanted to talk about some of these other interesting matchups that are cool to think about from a competitive point of view. And one of those was Florence Welch of Florence and the Machine and Haley Williams from Paramore. These are two yeah. of the most powerful voices in rock music right now. They both have big voices. Um, they both and have red hair. They do. And but for context, we had Haley Williams as a six seed, 
versus Florence Welch as an 11. Yep. Um, and we had Haley winning. Um, and I think the logic behind that was that essentially she just brings a ton of energy to her stage performances. I saw, I mean, I've never seen Florence and the Machine live, so, but I watched a couple videos to see. Mm-hmm. It seems to me Haley Williams brings a little more energy. She has this cool sort of punk persona or whatever, and she's always bouncing around the stage, getting the crowd into it, which mm-hmm. is not something you see a lot from, like, the indie performers. There's not right. a lot of, like, you know, playing to the crowd right. and, like, you know, doing that kind of stuff. She's really, really energetic on stage. And actually, when I saw Paramore, it was probably... Six years ago, five and a half years ago, um, I'm not like a huge fan. I, I've never really listened to that many full albums, if I've listened to any, but I went with a couple friends who were into it, and um, and uh, and she was awesome. And they, they put on a really, really good show, and it, it like I has definitely stuck out in my mind, and I think is part of the reason she wins in this matchup. Yeah, for sure, and that actually brings up a good question. Let's talk about engaging with the audience, because you're right. In the indie music scene, it seems like it's not cool to play up any sort of persona or, like, getting the audience involved. Totally. Does that end up having a negative effect on how you perceive the band or how you perceive the lead singer or how you enjoy the show? Um, It's it's tough. So with Animal Collective, who we saw in February, it actually did because they didn't do any kind of – there was very little acknowledgement of the crowd. Listen, I don't – I'm not the most outgoing person in the world, and I feel like if I were in that situation, maybe I'd be like them too, and I probably would want to just bury my head into whatever instrument I'm playing and just get through it. At the same time, like these are people who paid a lot to see you. They're excited to see you. I think you should reciprocate a little bit. I mean, to me, in the indie world, like so Animal Collective was the example I used. There is a lot of that. There's a lot of like sort of kind of ignoring the crowd. Although I think with bands like Future Islands, Sam from Future Islands, he, he was pretty good. He, he yeah. was outgoing. I don't know. I mean, like, who are some examples you can think of of people who who are outgoing? Yeah, who are or aren't? I don't know. Well, you know, I think stage banter is uh, is an important piece oh, I agree. of any show. And I think someone we just mentioned was was Matt Berninger. He, he's up there like making awkward dad jokes up on stage, like <laughs> which is awesome. It's really it's, it's really cool when people are up there not doing anything, uh, not really talking to you. It does take away from the experience it can, a little bit, I think. It can feel a little awkward, too. Yeah. It can feel like, okay, what do we do? Like, fill the silence right. now with, with something. And again, like, look, I these are people who are performing for a, for a living. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact that if I were in their, in their shoes, I wouldn't be on every night. I wouldn't be wanting to talk to hordes of people every night. Um, at the same time, like as you know, an audience member, and in, especially in a lead singer bracket, definitely helps to be engaging, helps to be active and like getting the crowd involved. And that's what I think Haley Williams did when I saw her. For sure. Um, and, and to that point, I think the next matchup we wanted to highlight was Alex Turner and Ezra Koenig. Yeah. Um, the first being from Arctic Monkeys and Ezra being from Vampire Weekend. An eight versus a nine seed, so as close as you can get in a bracket like this. This is basically a toss-up. Um, yep. So in, for me, I think what put Alex Turner over the top here is not only does he have this, this effortless rock star cool vibe about him, um, not to say that Ezra doesn't because he's cool in his own right, but Alex Turner, I think, really embodies like what a rock star is. He's got the slicked back hair. He wears a leather jacket. Um, he is someone who actually he doesn't do a ton of like stage banter or have a ton of stage presence. Yeah. But when he does say things in between songs, they're always like f- 
they're the, kind of like little funny jokes. Oh, they're or like always funny. Clever quips. Have you ever about seen things? the video of him from way back in like I think it's, it might I think it's actually the um, whatever people say I am era, and he's up there playing. I think it's live during like a TV sh- like appearance or whatever, and he looks out into the crowd and in between lines he goes, "That man just yawned." He's like talking about like he sees a guy yawn and he calls it out. Like he like Alex Turner definitely is sort of. He is an oddball kind of persona. And I think another thing that gave him an edge over Ezra Koenig, and we discussed this, I don't think we wrote it because I think we forgot, but I remember now when we first talked about this, there are so many of him. That's the thing right. is Ezra, Ezra Koenig, is, he's, a, he's a good front man. He's got a, an awesome voice, and there, you know it's no shot at Vampire Weekend. This was a, a close matchup in our minds, but with um, Alex Turner, there's been so many iterations. You have the early like 06 through 08 version of him, through their first two albums with the mop top look, sort of the mod appearance, and like he kind of did this like shy guy persona, and then with Humbug, it was like a little bit more like a scummy like it, it was like kind of like rock. stoner rock long hair, yeah, really deal. long hair deal. And, and now he is like you said, yeah, he comes out. Um, it was I think it was like around the Suck It and See, probably end of that tour, start of the AM tour. Yeah. He's got this like slicked back pompadour, like 50 style classic look about yeah. him that makes him look like like this greaser rock star. I remember when, when he actually, when he did it, I thought it was a joke at first. I didn't realize <laughs> like, I, I it, it took me by surprise. I was like, yeah. oh, people are rocking that look again? Yeah. It's actually come back hard. Yeah, it has. It's come back really hard in the time. years since then. Um, but it, it's interesting to think that, like, with Alex Turner, so the idea is, like, he can mix it up on Ezra Koenig. Like, throughout the course of his career, he's done different types of things, and he's been pretty engaging with all of them, yeah. or at least entertaining to watch yep. in all of them. The only album I can think of of his that doesn't have a distinct, like, different look is like it's suck it and see. I don't really know what he like it, looked like then necessarily. It, it was like a mixture of that long hair he had on Humbug yeah. and then getting into like the more like slicked back yeah classic rocker look. Well that's Kane, I feel like has always done generally the same thing. Not only in appearance but in terms of like stage presence. I, I he's like a generally funny you know, he he'll do some banter, but for the most part it's just straight through the show. He's right. but he's a really good like he's with like Blake's got a new face, for example, like right. or with certain songs, he'll get people singing along. He does fun stuff live, right. but Alex Turner got the slight edge. Yeah, one last thing about Alex is I, I saw um, Arctic Monkeys twice on their AM tour, uh, and all of the things that he says, like in between songs, actually he says the exact same thing, like in each show that I saw, which I'm okay with. I think if you are touring relentlessly every single night. It's good to just kind of know what you're going to say, give everybody the same experience at the show. Uh, like, for example, I think it was on uh, Dancing Shoes or something. Uh, he, he he always goes like, ladies, yeah. and then like goes into like, put on your dancing shoes. Yep. I remember um, that. And then... Uh, That's what he was criticized by the guy from the Orwells for. The Orwells is like a punk band out of Chicago, and they open for Arctic Monkeys. And that's what he, like, got shit from him for, which I thought was crazy, because it's like, oh, sorry, the Arctic Monkeys have figured out, like, this great this live set. Perfect formula. Yeah, yeah. and that, God forbid, they're, they're, they're so much more famous than the Orwells. <laughs> right. Like, right. Uh, so, oh, sorry, they don't have the raw passion of, like, yeah. of this unencumbered punk band. <laughs> right. You know, but I, yeah, I, that doesn't really detract from me. If anything, it actually kind of is cooler. It reminds me of, like, Elvis with his, like, like his shows in Vegas. Like, it's like almost having the same show every night. Yeah. You, but you bring the same thing and people love it. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And, like, 
unless you're a weirdo like me who's seeing them on multiple dates of a tour. You don't know. People have no clue. And you're loving it. Yeah, so it's fine. Uh, So the last one we wanted to talk about in round one was another big upset. This was Tom York, a five seed, the lead singer of Radiohead, going up against a 12 seed in Zach De La Rocha from Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. So we had Zach beating Tom York basically on just like aggression and power and energy alone. Yeah, it was all in his aggression. And um and Zach Delarocha, I think, makes some noise in the next round too. I think he he gets another win in the next he round. Does. I forget he over does. who. But the whole oh actually I remember over whom we're gonna talk about it. Yep. But with over Tom York, the idea was like this is if you look at the NCAA tournament, Tom York is a classic. He's seated highly uh because he just obviously he like has a lot of repute in the uh in the indie rock and in the rock circles radiohead's a huge band he's the front man naturally he'll be seated highly and he's done a lot vocally that is is really influential and really like awesome but when it comes to who's better performing live zach de la rocha brings the fire with every show mm-hmm. he's so aggressive and the way we thought of it is like in this competition he he gets sort of tom york gets sort of beaten back and he's like he's too frail and fragile <laughs> what i picture it as is tom york is this this run-and-gun, kind of, like, smaller... Finesse team. Finesse team. Zach De La Rocha is, like, a couple big guys down low. You get a big center yeah. and a big power forward who are just killing him on the boards. They're banging down low. They're getting a lot of points in the paint. That's Zach De La Rocha. And, and the thing is, is, we you know we saw Radiohead live a few years ago. We gotta take off a couple points for stage banter. York didn't do much at all. Almost and non-existent. It seems, but at the same time, it's a classic Radiohead move. It's almost more what you'd expect. Part of what makes him cool is he's so mysterious. Tom York seems like this guy who, like, I don't know, crept out from some... I don't know. He just seems like this, like, mysterious, weird dude. Yeah, who, like, spends his time in between tours, like, saving whales with Greenpeace or something like that. Doing stuff like like that. Whereas, Zach De La Rocha, you feel like you definitely know where you stand with him. (laughs) For sure. And he lets lets Tom York know in this round what's up. (laughs) And and the thing is, is I, I thought this was an interesting case where it made sense that he would be seated lower... Because of just the amount of output he's had and technically influence. I mean, you could make an argument Rage Against the Machine has almost, like, they're up there in terms of influence. But I feel like most people would know Tom York maybe better. I don't Mm. know. But I just feel like it made sense to seed them that far apart. But I feel like once the matchup came, this is just an unlucky matchup for Tom York. He couldn't hang with the energy that that Zach De La Rocha brings. Yeah, so that leads us into our interesting second round matchups. Let's just continue with Zach. So he yeah. gets into the second round. Yes. He ends up going up against Chris Cornell from yeah. Soundgarden. Now, what's interesting about these two is they share a connection with Tom Morello, who was their guitarist. And so Tom Morello was the guitarist in Rage Against the Machine. Once Rage Against the Machine broke up, they uh, Tom Morello formed a super group with Chris Cornell and called Audio Slave. It was it was it was everyone in Rage Against the Machine except Zach De La Rocha. It was uh the what Tim Comerford and like Brad Wilkes of of yeah. Rage Against the Machine. I think those are their names. And um and uh and then they were just joined by Chris Cornell of Soundgarden. What's even funnier about this matchup is that we did not plan it this way. <laughs> we didn't. And again, going back to preparedness and and like having things planned out, we fell ass backwards into this <laughs> we were, one. We were doing the bracket and we were like, oh, oh, oh hey. this is so cool. We're like it's the Tom Morello Bowl. <laughs> yeah, and, so we yeah we dubbed this the Tom Morello Bowl, where kind of Chris Cornell and Zach De La Rocha are duking it out for like who was who was the better lead singer with Tom Morello. And what we ended up, what what ended up happening, Jake? The, Zach De La Rocha won That's because right. he was he was the original, uh, you know, t- 
Tom Morello, lead singer, and I think Rage Against the Machine is the more influential band than Audio Slave. For sure. Audio Slave had some good hits and stuff, and Chris Cornell has a better singing voice, but Zach Rocha doesn't sing. And I just feel like I, I I felt like that matchup. It would be again. It would be not only does Dela Rocha bring his patented fire to the performance. He also has a chip on his shoulder yep. against Tom Morello's new squeeze. That's right. <laughs> in the form of Chris Cornell, he's got a point to prove. That's right. This the the storyline here would be like Tom Morello transferred to another school or got traded to another team. Yep. And Zach's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, being like, I, you know what, I, we're we're better off. I I'm okay without you. Exactly. And none of this really makes any sense. Like, I think it makes sense. <laughs> okay. I, I think it does. Okay. I think when you're when you're I think the comparisons do. I feel like most people do yep. get what we're getting at with. Yep. Uh, so one of the uh, so the, the other two we wanted to mention were another couple big upsets for the people we had just mentioned. So Alex Turner continues his run by mm. beating Dave Grohl, who was our number one seed in the 21st century. Yep. Dave S- Grohl kind of he got in with a round one uh, defeat of the 16 seed Laura Jane Grace from Against Me, and so the thing is, is like he's the one seed. He's the most probably famous, successful front person of this generation and so we said you know he he gets his first round victory and since he's the one seed he's the favorite to keep winning but in this matchup Alex Turner has more to prove and comes out with a little bit of fire in this matchup yeah and I think you could make the argument for Dave Grohl that you know obviously he was in Nirvana he struck out on his own after and came out with a few great records towards the end of the 90s and into the early 21st century I think the argument with Dave Grohl is that, like, while he's this icon and he's involved in a lot of different stuff, like, I think he was drumming with Led Zeppelin for, like, their for somewhere. Is and he then, in them Crooked Vultures? No. I, no, I don't, no, I don't think so. He's in some so. kind of super group. Though. Yeah, he's he's got his hands in a lot of different, like, he did that Sonic Highways kind of, like, show. He's been doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. He's an icon. But in terms of, like progressing music forward and putting out great records and, like, I don't know that he stands up to Alex Turner in that regard in the 21st century, and I think that's why we ended up having Turner beat him. And again, it depends on your perspective, because there are some people who don't really like AM or don't love Arctic Monkeys in general, and obviously their perspective would be Dave Grohl would win this, but for us, a couple Arctic Monkeys diehards, you know, big fans, that plays a factor as well. And like we said, we were biased in this decision. we We objectively ranked Dave Grohl Number one. Yeah. And then we subjectively had Alex Turner <laughs> right. beat his ass in, right. the, in the second round of the tournament. <laughs> right. um, because we felt like, like you said, he has more interesting things to say musically right now than Dave Grohl. And Dave Grohl kind of has his like sort of one-trick pony songwriting thing going right. on. Um, Turner continues to reinvent himself. Yeah, different formats. You yep. know, I think Dave Grohl has sort of had mostly the same sound throughout yeah. his career. I haven't listened to a ton of Foo Fighters records, yeah. but... I can only assume, based on what I've heard from every record he's come out with, (laughs) which has sounded like generally the same. Right. I don't know. So, so Alex Turner as a nine seed moves on to the eight seed. We had Ezra as the nine. Oh, okay. Uh, Moves on to the Sweet Sixteen. That's right. So good for him. And then we have um, another Cinderella run in the works. That's right. The twenty first century. So here's a quick note Um, of the four brackets: the sixties, seventies, eighties. Uh, oh, so 60s and 70s, 80s, 90s, and 21st century. Um, the 21st century had by far the most upsets and the most sort of like lower seeds that I think we just like a lot. Yeah. Moving on. I think we had decent rationale for it, but we I think, did. I think it's we, I'll actually, defend any of those picks. I will too. I will too. But basically, yeah, quick note. 
we pretty much went chalk in the in the earlier areas, meaning the higher seeds just kind of always won out. So it's not as interesting to talk about. You can definitely check out the bracket itself and see like where things went. Well, or something would happen like in the 80s where in the 80s bracket there were upsets in the first round, but then all that happened is in the second round they, it recalibrated and the one through four seeds right. are moving on. Right. So the upsets almost don't even matter right. in that bracket. Right. Um, but yeah, so the other... So this, so the the um, sorry, the twenty first century, the Matt Berninger Cinderella story continues with that one in the next round, and he defeated who was it? Who did we have yeah, in, so in the second he, round? In, in the second round, he actually went up against Karen O from That's right. the yeah yeah yeah. So Karen O was a ten seed. She beat Billy Joe Armstrong of Green Day as a seven seed to so, get here. So a little bit of an upset to get here. So we had Matt as a fifteen going up against Karen O as a ten in the second round. And once again, it was pretty much kind of the same rationale for him beating Matt Bellamy. Like, he is a really engaging performer, puts on a great show. You know, it was enough to carry him to the Sweet 16. Yeah, and it's, come on, let's be honest, it's more fun to have a Cinderella story. Right, it's more fun for the 15th seed to get that far in the tournament. Yeah, and I feel like like we, I have more things that I'd be interested in writing about Matt Berninger than Karen O. Like, you know, I just think that also plays a factor. Like, in all honesty... It's just more fun to have this like Cinderella 15 seed sweeping his way through. And this is giving ESPN a lot of uh, a lot of juice to talk about yeah. on Sports Center exactly. in, in first take. In, in the, the in the ESPN version of lead singers, yep. where there's like these sports versions pundits talking about the lead singer <laughs> bracket. Like this is unprecedented. This fifth there's actually only ever been I did some research, one NCAA basketball tournament 15 seed to move on from the second round. It was Florida Gulf Florida Coast. Florida Gulf Coast. Back in uh, 2013. Yep. And and so Bernier, you know, hey, listen, he's making history he here. Is. This, you know, it's, oh, it has precedent. But if he gets the next round, it's gonna be all bets are off. Something, maybe, maybe, maybe he makes it to the final four. Something tells me he flames out. Yeah, I mean, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, so, like I said, in the in the other eras, we kind of had the higher seeds move on. So, you know, the Freddie Mercury's of the world, Mick Jagger, Robert yeah. Plant, Bruce Springsteen, those types of guys, they're moving on. Yeah, I can give a, if you want, I can just read the Sweet 16 really quick. Yeah, so, yeah. Tell, so, yeah, who, let's see who we have for So, from matchups. the 60s, 70s bracket, we have one seed, Freddie Mercury, um, two seed, Mick Jagger, three seed, Robert Plant, four seed, Elvis Presley, all moving on to the Sweet 16. After victories in the first two rounds. In the 80s, we have one seed, Bono, two seed, Bruce Springsteen, three seed, Morrissey, four seed, Prince. Again, those are the top four seeds in that. They all moved on. There were a couple upsets. Like we had 11 seed, Michael Stipe, getting a win in the first round, but he loses to Morrissey in the second round. Um, Third round, we have Kurt Cobain as a one seed. We have the uh, Cinderella, Zach De La Rocha as a 12 seed, Eddie Vedder as a three, and then Axl Rose as a two. Um, and then in the 21st century, we have eight seed Alex Turner, 13 seed Julian Casablancas, which we didn't talk about no, at all. No, we didn't. Strokes lead singer. He got here the second round. He beat Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie and the Postal Service. We have three seed Brandon Flowers, and then we have 15 seed Matt Berninger. So That's it's right. going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. That's right. So those are your 16 uh, who are keeping who get to keep dancing. So yeah, so yeah, they're going to the Sweet 16. So what? can we expect in the rest of the tournament, Jake, without giving away any spoilers? So what I'm going to say is a big one seed or or a high seed in general is going to get knocked off at some point. That might surprise a lot of people. What I'll say is that, yeah, there... I feel like you might be surprised who comes out at the top. I don't know. Maybe you won't. Maybe you won't. 
This is all right. So I think you could make the comparison to this year in the tournament. Yep. Everyone picked Michigan State mm-hmm. as the two seed. Um, they ended up losing, but they were a very popular two seed, Jake. Wink, wink. So you might see uh, one of the two seeds that are left getting at least to the championship. I won't say how it turns out, but that's right. So there's right. you'll see what happens here. We don't go completely chalk. No more upsets, more surprises, Cinderella stories. Do they flame out? Do they keep going? What what is the fate of going to be very of, of fifteen seated Matt Bernier and thirteen seated Julian Casablancas? Yep. And can they continue? Will, make, will they meet up? Will they meet up? Can they continue to make their way in a bracket with heavyweights, That's with right. all these other one through four seeds? That's right. We'll so, see how it goes. Um, we'd love your feedback on the bracket, what you think, where we got it wrong, what upset should have happened. Does it make any happened. sense? Just be like, your stupid sports and music metaphors don't make any sense. Um, <laughs> you guys are dumb. Like, cut it out. So, I think I think in one of my blurbs about I think it was Ben Gibbard or something it was one of them I actually wrote that they got a seven point win, <laughs> such a specific yeah. sports related detail that makes literally no sense when applied to music, but in my mind it makes sense. Yep. So I wrote and, it. And we're talking about we we have both mentioned specifically where one singer will keep it close for a couple quarters, and then they'll. they'll so, so then they'll lose it in the last two quarters. So basically, we fully acknowledge that this is lunacy yeah. and that it doesn't make literal sense. But it's fun for us to imagine these like hypothetical, imaginary, like basket four quarter singing competitions. <laughs> basically, Jake and I are devolving into like a dangerous, like just level fictional of, world. Yes, exactly, exactly. We've created another reality for ourselves. <laughs> so. Um, we wanted to finish up today's show by talking about our favorite albums of the first quarter of 2016. So I'm going to have another comparison for you. Here, Q1. Jake. Q1. So what ends up happening at a lot of companies is at the end of the quarter, you all get together and you'll go over the the big wins and losses from the previous quarter. Okay. You know, what have we done? What can we do better? I'm taking notes. I'm you over got, here oh, taking notes. They can't, be, the, list, taking notes. the listeners can't tell, but I'm over here scratching away the notepad. Away. So basically, we're doing the same thing. This is like our, our quarterly business review, except yeah. it's our quarterly album review. You can also think of it as a progress report for 2016. And it's a, it's a little bit of a look back. A little bit of a look forward. That's We're right. feeling sentimental today. That's right. And also there weren't that many like huge albums to drop this week, so didn't have a ton to talk about, but it's our quarter review. That's, that's what quarterly, we planned all along. Quarterly album review. Let me ask you this, Jake, before we dive into the albums. What do you think of the year in music so far? Is it good, bad, okay? Does it stand up to 2015 so far? What do you think? The last question's tough because 2015 was a really, really good year of music. It was, yeah, there was so much that came out last year. I think 2016 has been, there's been like highs and lows and like things I haven't been able to make sense of. So, for example, like The Life of Pablo has been a very um, frustrating album for me. You know, we had a whole podcast about that and that was in some ways very good, in some ways not so good. You know, we talked at length about our frustrations there, but, you know, at the same time, some of the albums we're about to get into. We, there were some serious highs mm-hmm. of you know mm-hmm. this year, so I don't know. To me, it's been. What is your take? I thought it was a little up and downish so far through the first three months. Overall, I'm gonna give it like a like a seven and a half out of ten. Where, where it's would, been yeah. good. It hasn't been great yet. I think we will reach like absolute highs this year. But when I compare it to 2015, when you look back at the first quarter of 2015, we had 
um, To Pimp a Butterfly, and we had I Love You Honey Bear by Father John Misty, which ended up being our one and two album of the year. It, those came out in the first quarter, so it's... And if you recall, during at that time, we were riding high on Viet Cong, too, which came out January and, of last year. And Drake's mixtape right. came out at that yep. time. So we had a really... And, and Panda Bear came out at that time. That's we had right. a really, really strong start to the year, where this year, with the exception of the records we're about to highlight... I don't want to say it's gotten off to a slow start. It just hasn't gotten off to as hot of a start as we did last year. I don't feel like we're pedal to the metal yet no. with 2016. I think we'll get there though, yeah. especially with the start of Q2 and, yeah. the, and some of the <laughs> some of the albums we're about to get. Our projections for Q2 are promising. If you take a look at this graph, listeners. Oh wait, you can't see the graph that I'm gesturing. If you look towards. at our our pipeline of sales for quarter two, Jake, we're looking strong. This has been an all time ostracizing podcast because a we talked about our fantasy like made up world of lead singer bracketry, and bracketry is a word I dropped, which isn't a word. So you got you got the brackets themselves. You have me saying bracketry, and we have you dropping office speak buzzwords. <laughs> Like pipeline, so you know. Hey, if you're still listening, God bless you, and we're gonna reward you now by talking about some of our favorite records of the year so far. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with what is my by far my favorite mm-hmm. album of the year. Uh, this is Cardinal by Pine Grove. I think this is one we've mentioned a few times on the pod before, but I don't know if we've given it enough. I don't love think on I don't think we have. I don't think we have. So I this, wrote a review for it. Back you did when it came out. So this album is really interesting because it's like a mixture of like alt country like pop punk and emo diy emo yeah. yeah so it's that's how i would describe it but when you listen it's not going to sound like any of those things i just described to you it is actually one of the most um one of the failings of genre in the beginning is like that, is that it sort of sounds like its own thing that's and we right are trying to jam it into a package we're trying to put a square peg into a round hole with yeah. this um maybe it's genreless it's not genreless it, it's, it's probably, rock it's alternative rock yeah it, um but it does sound very very unique and it's only eight songs long it's like 30 ish minutes mm-hmm. give or take it's 30 even very perfect uh so it's a quick it's a quick listen um really good melody on here really good lyrics uh really personal lyrics it's an album that I love because I have formed an emotional connection to it. I actually listen to it, if not every day, like every other day. Yeah. Um, so that that just off the top of my head is my easy number one album of the year so far. That's up there for me too. And I got into Pine Grove a few months ago, and what happened, which was interesting, is that so in anticipation of this album, I just started listening to Pine, Cro- Pine Grove in general. I listened to everything so far, which is their collection of just every song they had done to that point. And I would like fell in love with a, a lot on that. Like the Angelina is on there, really good song. Um, New Friends was on it, I believe, mm-hmm. which is on this album. So is Size of the Moon, which ends up on Cardinal. So what ends up happening is I listen to everything so far and like the top five six tracks on Pine Grove Spotify so much that when Cardinal came out, I liked it immediately a lot. Wrote a review, for, I wrote a positive review. Obviously was really enjoying it, but I ended up taking a break for like a couple weeks like from Pine Grove because I had been listening so much. And But the last couple weeks, I've listened to Cardinal a ton. And I love it. It's it's really, it's like eight really good songs. It's like a perfect length for an album and it has, it's like eight tracks. I, I love all of them. And like you said, I love the lead singer, Evan, what is Evan it? Evan Hall. S- Evan Stevens Hall. Yep. His, um, the quality of his voice is really cool and it lends itself to that sort of hybrid of like that alt country alt folk 
slash emo slash punk. It's sort of a whiny version of, uh, he's like kind of a country rasp to it though. Mm. Really cool voice. And like you said, the lyrics are great. And I love the songwriting, the production, like the, the chord changes on there and like just the way that they went about actually arranging the songs is really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's totally worth listening to. It is. And yeah, Evan Hall, um, he was on the Celebration Rock podcast with Stephen Hyden. Uh, friend of the pod. Big friend of the pod a couple weeks ago. You know, we actually, we talked on Twitter a little bit yesterday. You did. So, you know, no big deal. Stephen Hyden, big shout. Uh, So, yeah, he was on the Celebration Rock podcast. He just seemed like a really smart, self-aware guy who knows, like, where he stands and, like, how he goes about, like, crafting his art. So it was really interesting to hear his takes on these songs. Gave it a little bit of background to one of my favorite records. This one, is it's... Got a lot of critical acclaim so far. People have been raving about this record. It has an 84 on Metacritic. Which is really high. Really, really high. high on Metacritic. Um, so w- what about you? What, would you say that's your favorite, Jake, or do you have say, another one? You know what? I, I, I struggled with this when I was thinking about doing this podcast earlier. and I, I think at this point it is my favorite of the year so far. But what's really close is David Bowie's album, uh, which we it seems like forever ago we were talking it about It was only that. like a couple months ago. It was January. Yeah. I know. It was January, beginning of January. It feels like forever at this point. But, I mean, we talked about it somewhat on our In Memoriam podcast. We, we went pretty in-depth on Black Star. We did. Um, but, but Black Star is, I mean, to me, one of the best records that's come out this year. I would agree. By leaps and bounds. I would put it as my number two. Which is good, um, yeah. So it's it's definitely up there. I, I think in terms of enjoyment, Pine Grove in, in Cardinal is a little bit more enjoyable and lends itself to repeat listens a lot. Not to say that Black Star doesn't, because it absolutely does. I think when you listen to Black Star, it has some of that same weight that To Pimp a Butterfly does, where when you're listening, you're like, I know that this was the final work of art by this icon. Yeah. And you kind of want to unpack it and give it kind of the respect it deserves, which doesn't always lend itself to a casual fun listen. I could agree with that. I think I had more straight up fun with Black Star than I ever did with Tip Impa Butterfly. Oh, for sure. Like with Black Star, I actually I listened to a, like a lot when it came out for the first like month it was out. I listened to that album a ton. And and you know, we talked about it at length, so there's no reason to go into it too much in depth here, but um definitely, definitely worth listening to because and here's the thing, and we talked about this, it might shock you how accessible and how cool this album actually is. Even if you don't like Bowie, listen, just try listening to it as an album that came out in 2016. I would be surprised if you didn't enjoy it. If you're like a rock fan or an mm-hmm. experimental music fan, mm-hmm. it's really, really good. It's worth a listen. For sure. Uh, and speaking of rock albums, uh, I wanted to highlight another couple right here that came out kind of close to each other. Yeah. One is Dive, and their new album is the Izar. This is another one that we had mentioned a few weeks ago on the podcast, but in terms of like making just straight up guitar rock kind yeah. of relevant again in the year 2016 when not a lot of people seem to be interested in it. Dive does a really good job of that and they lay down really melodic guitar lines and kind of have this like hazy vibe to all the songs but are still really poppy at the same time. So I've really enjoyed that record. So did I. Um, yeah, what were you going to say? Oh, I was right. going to say that it's like this epic. We talked about it yep. before, but I mean, not everyone listened to our fourth <laughs> podcast or whatever. Right. So I guess I think it, we're safe to like tread some old territory. <laughs> yeah. um, it's basically an extension of, and I think a slight progression of their original sound from uh, Ocean, their first album. And uh, yeah, just like a, a real epic of an album. Yeah. Uh, how long? It's like an hour five. Yeah, like that. it's it's like seventeen ish tracks. It's over an hour long of just like straight guitar 
pop in a way, I and, would say. And this is an album where what happened was when it came out and when it was pre-streamed sort of streamed on NPR, I listened a lot in the first couple weeks, excuse me, and um, I, I, so I listened a ton when it came out. I hadn't listened in a while, and the other night we were hanging out and, and we put that album on and I forgot how immediate it's really really, really good. good it's I like every song I really enjoy it's 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 classic dive it's these catchy guitar hooks like you said and sort of the um aimless sounding vocals but I think on this album he comes with it with a little bit more clarity with the lyrics and that's what he wanted to do he said he wanted to have more of a focus on lyrics and a message this time around and obviously he he was dealing with a lot of um he, he dealt with his addiction um, a lot on this album and like kind of that recovery process. So that's what he wanted to talk about. One last thing about Dive is I've realized already that this is the album where you you take like a lot of songs from it that end up on playlists and they start getting played throughout the year outside of the context of the album. Um, I think the one to compare it to last year actually was was Drake's mixtape, where right. that got put on all sorts of different playlists, and you heard these songs throughout the year. Yeah, um, I think this is one is similar, because it's a longer album. You don't always want to listen to it all the way through, right. but you're like, yeah, I want to listen to Healthy Moon. Yeah, I want to listen to to some of these other songs. Yeah, and what's funny about it is, like I said, I listened so much when it was streaming that by the time it was actually released, I didn't like listen that much. I already felt like I knew the whole mm -hmm. thing so well. Mm -hmm. um, it, but yeah, it's definitely one worth checking out if you didn't listen to, to Dive's new record. One more quickly before we get into two big rap records of the first quarter. Which we've covered at in nauseum. Depth. Yeah, um, I wanted to highlight the 1975 in their album, are you ready for this title, Jake? It's, I'm gonna I'm gonna take notes. Okay, I like it when you sleep, for you are so beautiful yet so unaware of it. It really is a cringe-inducing title, and I think that's part of their charm. They know what they're doing. I get it. They they know exactly who they are. I think they're smarter than anyone about kind of playing up this 1975 vibe where it's a little lame. Like, look at some of the songs that they're writing. Oh, I know. Like, dude. The uh, the song the, it one of the one for his grandmother or the song the sound yeah there's a song called Nana on it there's, yeah it's like he's like I hope I'm like you when I'm 72 <laughs> yeah. or whatever yeah there's a song also the one of the lead singles the sound which is basically just like this like bleeding heart pop song like in celebration of just like music and the power of music and it's like it's cringeworthy but they're doing it a little bit tongue-in-cheek and they know it and they're like fuck it we're just gonna create awesome pop songs across a bunch of different genres because there's electro pop on here there's like some synthy ambient stuff you have r&b you have some disco and funk they are running the gamut of genres here which is really really cool and while it doesn't always succeed it's always interesting. Yeah, I think what so with this album, I listened probably three or four times enough to to get it, enough to know it. It's for me, I like it. I like the 1975. I have no problems with them. It's just an album that for me, it doesn't feel like it comes from an entirely genuine place. You know what I mean? I think there's listen. I think that that, that criticism might sound kind of pretentious, but at the same time, I think when you're trying to do so much, cover so many genres. And they do it well. I'm not trashing that at all. They they sound great. I mean, obviously, but it it, it is so sh so sheen and so like cleaned up around the edges that I think that there's a bit of it that seems a little disingenuous. It almost feels like 
it's sort of appropriating these styles and just That's using them for their own. A really interesting point and something that I never thought about at all. I looked at what they were doing with the the mashing together of these genres as more of an homage to each of those different genres and kind of paying tribute to where pop music has gone across across time, really. I could see that. I To me, it's like, and again, I enjoyed it. There's nothing not enjoyable about it. Is there... This isn't an album that I'm going to be revisiting for years, though. I'm, it's not something where, like, down the line, I'm going to think that this was some touchstone. And I think what you're like that description makes it sound like it's going to be like it's really this sort of revolutionary encapsulation of sounds through the years. And it's to me, it doesn't quite do that. I think it kind of uses the sounds it needs and moves along and does it well. They're they're a band that can wear a lot of hats. They can do things mm-hmm. well. And that, honestly, I'm not trying to shit on the 1975. I don't dislike it. It's just like for me. Did it totally do it for me? I'm not going to say it was like one of my favorites. I, right. I've been enjoying it. And I think that is a good comparison to where we are at with music so far in 2016, where like this is a good album, but you know, if a couple other big releases had come out, we're probably not talking about this one. Yeah. And, 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 that all also ignores the fact that it's like an hour and 13 minutes. It's long. a little too long. It's, it's too really long. long. And so if you're not feeling like listening to some somewhat inspired, if not really, really nice-sounding pop music, you're not going to want to listen to it for for 73 minutes. It's too long. They could do with cutting that down to, like, 12 or 13 songs and having it be, like, 45 to 50 minutes. Like, for example, if I'm given the option of listening to Cardinal by Pine Grove, which is 30 minutes with eight songs of really inspired-sounding, original-sounding songwriting and arrangement... Or am I going to listen to 73 minutes of the 1975 kind of trying on different stuff very successfully, I'll add, you know, and and just but it doesn't sound to be like this organic creation that like is purely them. I don't know. To me, it sounds like like you said, it's homage. Sometimes I don't I'm not into, oh, I'm not looking for, for sure. homage, you know, for sure. I, that's that's really all my point. Yeah, is. no, that makes total sense. Um, so the last two we wanted to highlight is we, we wanted to give a shout out to the life of Pablo. We did an entire podcast about this. We've talked about it a lot. We're not going to go into into detail about it, but basically, like this is. A- I say we dive in, Sean. Let's start with <laughs> Let's track unpack. one. Let's start with track one. Um, Ultra Light Beat. <laughs> this is this is a good album, though. It is, and it's worth listening to. And we did want to highlight it because it was really important in the scope of quarter one of 2016 music. So yeah, it's it's worth it was worth a, a shout. Probably the biggest, most like quote unquote important release. Yeah. And the other thing is, I think that throughout our podcast throughout the one where we broke it down, there was this impression given, I think deservedly because of the way we talked about it, that we were shitting all over it and we didn't really like it. And I think all that happened really was it wasn't as good as we expected, but it's still Kanye. It's still Still good. good. It's still enjoyable. You know, definitely check out The Life of Pablo. And before we move on to the last one, have you heard the new version of Wolves he put on? No, I actually haven't listened to it yet because I got rid of my title subscription and I never got that email you told me I'd get for 50% off. You know why? Why? Because they actually... um, stretched out the amount of time people have for their free trial. You have another month right now. I do? You do. You should. Even though I canceled it? Oh, maybe not if you canceled it. Listeners, if I you, had, worst of if all. you had title, you might have another full free month because they're like, well, Kanye's changing his album. 
we know a lot of people got it just for this. We're going to give you another free month. Because it almost seemed like Kanye planned the release of the new song for when people's subscription would be, <laughs> that would ending. be That's what it felt like. That when would it came be the out. cynical uh, well, sure, point on it. I know it would. But know Jake, would. this is a living, breathing album. This is. is art, artwork in progress. You can't rush art. You can't rush art. And I, listen, I'm not trying to rush art. I'm just trying to save some cash, <laughs> save a little money. And I actually didn't I didn't up, up my uh, re up <laughs> yeah, on title. Yeah. So I know I. I haven't actually heard the new Wolves Well, yet. I will say, the new version of Wolves, it has Sia and Vic Mensa added back into the mix, which was one of my complaints about it at first, was that they were missing. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, there was that earlier version that I really, really liked. They're back in it. It's got, like, the best parts of the original good. version, as well as them added in. It's really, really good. Frank has actually been given his own song, that little coda he had at the end, that, like, 30-second thing. That's technically not a part of Wolves anymore. It comes right after in the album, and it's just called Frank's Track, and it's just that 30 seconds. It's, it's how he's singing, right? It's basically a continuation of the themes on Wolves and uh, the whole sound, but it's not technically a part of the song anymore. I, I really like the new version. I think Title's got me by the balls. I'm going to have to listen. Yeah. I, I really want to, obviously. And and hey, I just... you can keep listening to Neil Young. Which is true. That's true. Uh, so the last album we wanted to highlight was Untitled Unmastered by Kendrick Lamar. This is another one we went way in depth on. Yeah. We did a couple podcasts about this. We had a mini pod by Sean, and then we had a, a full length with both of us. So yep. there's not really much more to say. No, there's not. Other than, you know. Check it out. It's really good. Yep. One of the best rap albums to come out so far this year. And we would have been remiss to not mention it in our quarter year review. That's right. We would have been remiss. So, Jake, let's look ahead at our, at our Q2 album's pipeline right yeah, now yeah. and see the the health of the of the music year going forward uh what are some of the most uh exciting albums that you're looking forward to coming out in the next few weeks or, or month or so i'm really really looking forward to how far ahead are we looking are we looking to like let's, through the early summer just q2 yeah so april may june <laughs> just, yeah, just q2. q2 projections jake okay <laughs> I, let's I'm, not let's not put the cart before the horse, okay? Let's see through. Let's see the trees for the forest. Sounds sounds great, Buzz Speak, Sean. I think so. I'm really excited for a couple of uh, emo pop punk EPs that are coming out by the world is a beautiful place, and I'm no longer afraid to die, and by our buddies in Sorority Noise. Big shout, big big friends of the pod. Those are legitimate. Friends of the pod. Yeah, when we say friends of the pod, most of the time it's like our close friends who just listen, or it's like a celebrity or someone famous who would have no reason to ever listen to our podcast. Sorority Noise, a couple members actually came on the show, so they are friends of the pod, and we appreciate it, but they have a new EP coming out. Um, it Kindly Stopped for me, I yep. think it's called. Yep. Heard a couple tracks. I'm really liking what I'm hearing. Uh, Cam's up to his old tricks again. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually right. really, I'm, I'm, right. I'm really excited, and right. from what I've heard from the World is a Beautiful Place um, song, so I'm excited Kind of for that a continuation yeah. of what we'd heard on Harmlessness last year. On so. their previous full-length release. That's right, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. One of the albums... I'm most excited for, not even just for Q2, but for the year in general. I love the continued use of Q2. <laughs> this, this is what happens when you get brainwashed by, like, corporate America, is you just start t talking in these buzzwords, yeah. and you don't think twice. You know what will happen is, like, I think Q2 should be a U2 oh. cover band, but in the band it should be a bunch of business casual stiffs yeah, who are like playing. That. Like, they're good at their instrument. They I never like did that. much with it, but they're a U2 cover band. I like that The a vocalist lot. can't hang Oh with, no, he with can't. Bono. He 
wouldn't even sniff our top lead singer's bracket. No. He'd be stuck in the NIT tournament. Well, if you're in Q2, this this cover band of U2, you're playing a lot of the songs in lower keys so you can match what Bond oh, is doing. Oh, for sure. It's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot I of I cut that. you off for that bullshit. What no, that's, a, that's, a, that's an important point to make about the band <laughs> Q2. Uh, we might need to trademark that. So uh, I'm excited for Frightened Rabbit, um, yeah. the, the Scottish indie rock band. They are a lot like the National... But from Scotland, they sing like kind of like sad, sad indie rock. Um, I've heard a few of the songs that have come out. I've really liked all of them. I, I think this is going to be a, a really good album, actually. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. That comes out in a few weeks uh, at the start of April. I look forward to trying to get into Frightened Rabbit. I've listened to a to. couple of their albums. Yeah. For anyone who's looking to get into them, um, I'm not saying that this new album won't be a good place to dive in. I'm just saying if you go back and you listen to Midnight Organ Fight, um, from like 2007, that is the one to start with. That has some of their best songs on it, really gives you a feel for what they're all about, and I would make the same recommendation to you, Jake. I appreciate it. That's a, that's a, a nice uh, custom, tailor-made recommendation, <laughs> and I will be doing that. I actually have been meaning to make, do it not to continue the, the slew of BuzzSpeak, but I've been meaning to make a deep dive into... into, <laughs> into tell, you what, tell you what, Jake. Into Frightened Rabbit. Carve out some time, circle back, yeah. do a deep dive. Yeah. Get ready for Q2 releases. Or I could do a high-level just overview of some of their songs. Just pick you, you know, could, some of the You hits. could go high-level with it. I recommend a deep dive. Although they're not a hits band. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're not. Um, so a couple other ones really quick I'm excited for. M83, new album coming out. I like them enough. Um, I Yeah, I liked some of what they did with that last album. I, 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 like, to... I like that. Hurry Up, We're Dreaming, I thought it was a good album. I didn't listen to it a ton back when it came I, out. I liked it. Um, so we'll see we'll see what uh, what M83 is up to this time around. And then for me, um, Alex Turner and Miles Kane reuniting for Last Shadow Puppets, their first album since 2008. So I'm know, excited for that too. I think I, that's going to be good. That nice, nice, like pop rock songs they had on that first time around. I'm expecting kind of more of the same. Kind of gives Alex Turner a chance to do something outside of Arctic Monkeys. I compare it to uh, Matt Berninger doing. Elvi, outside well, of the context of the national singer songwriter Alex Turner is actually maybe one of my favorite iterations of Alex Turner. Like so, A A M for example is an album that hasn't aged as well for me as it seems to have for so many other people. I rarely listen to it anymore. I, I've gotten kind of tired of A M. Well, we listened so much. We when it did, came well, out. definitely. But I I still love like Suck It and See era. Um, Arctic good. Monkeys. I love the the singer songwriter stuff he's doing there. Less the sort of less than the sort of like. Dancy sort of club beat inspired AM. Have you listened to Alex Turner's Submarine movie soundtrack? I think I've listened to some of it. Okay, it's basically Pile Driver Waltz is on it, right? Yeah, an acoustic version. So these yeah, are all acoustic songs of singer songwriter Alex Turner, which are awesome. Yeah, they They're are really really good. Nice relaxing music. I would recommend um, the song Stuck on the Puzzle. Great track. Could all-time Alex Turner song title stuck, stuck on, the, on puzzle. the puzzle? Probably it's such an Alex that or uh, Black Treacle yeah. is another one. Oh, I was just saying it like yeah. sounds so much like a song title. <laughs> you know what? That, that will be another podcast. We'll do like most cliched songs that certain artists did. Yeah. <laughs> For example, like rock and roll 
is the most cliche like Led Zeppelin song. Song title. Song title. We're gonna have to right. think about this. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll flesh that out more before we can before we can feed thirty to forty five minutes <laughs> before we have enough to sustain. I think we should get into the album that I think we're both really really excited. I think for. we're but this is our most anticipated, yeah. most excited for album of the year. I'm excited for all of those. But, but this one more so. What is it? I'm getting real excited, Sean. I'm getting real excited, getting real bricked Sean. up for this one. Huh? Yeah, real proper for uh, Modern Baseball's new full-length album, Holy Ghost. Um, I think we talked. Oh no, I talked about this on a mini pod. I talked about the singles, Every Day and Apple Cider. I don't mind. I talked about them in one of our ten minute or less podcasts. So shout out to anyone who listened to that. Big shout. Uh, big shout. Big friend of the pod, listeners to that pod. Um, <laughs> but I think so. This is a pop punk band out of Philadelphia, big friends of Sorority Noise, who came on our show. So by the transitive property, they're big friends of the pod. Yeah, I would be. I wouldn't be surprised if they were listening right, right now. now, live. They <laughs> they might be. But with this new album, I guess what they're doing, which I think is going to be really interesting, is a split between the two main. Uh, singer-songwriters of the band, Jake Ewald and Brandon Lukens. So the first half is going to be all Jake, second half is going to be all Bren. Um, so I, and that seems like a very... I have mixed thoughts about what that's going to mean because A, that seems like a thing you do when you get to like your white album and you, you're, a, you're a mature band and you don't get along anymore so it's like alright fuck you you take your half I'll have my half and we'll see which one the fans like more yeah the less it, cynical it view seems like it's asking for that yeah the less cynical view is that they just it just works that way and maybe there's some unifying themes or something between right. the two halves um, but it seems like a very mature later career band yes. move um, See, yeah, I, I don't like it only because it opens itself up to comparisons between which side do you like better, which I don't think is fair because I think their songs work so well as a collection where you're going back and forth between both the, 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 the songwriters. Absolutely, that's part of what's fun is the interplay between their songs throughout the album. So if you've listened to You're Gonna Miss It All, their previous full-length release, that's part of what's fun about it is you get like a Jake song, then a, a, a Brent song, like sort of back and forth. And... Um, and I think I'll miss some of that back and forth on yeah. this one. But I, based on the reaction that Cam and Adam had when they were here and we were talking about Modern Baseball and we brought up the new album should be good. We, we, we said the EP, their, old, their EP that came out last year, like that was really good. And they were like, yeah, that was good. <laughs> they were like, you're going to love the new record. Right. They're like, like you're, you thought that was good. Yeah, you, you wait until you hear yeah. what this new one's about. So I, I have, and after hearing Every Day and Apple Cider, I don't mind that my expectations have only risen. It sounds like they're maturing into sort of a new, bigger sound. Yeah. Or some uh, variations of bigger sounds. Yeah. You know, for so, sure. Yeah, I'm excited. That's going to be great. So, overall, I think our Q2 album pipeline is looking strong, Jake. Yeah. Um, our, our prospectus for the yeah. for the new quarter is, yeah. is looking strong. Um, and, I, you know, I'm excited for 2016 to keep churning out new stuff. I am too. Uh, it's been a good year so far, so we'll we'll see how it goes going forward. We sure will. Uh, so we can probably wrap it up there. I would just say if you liked what you heard, if you like the podcast, follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Write us a review. Give us some feedback. If you don't like what you heard, never listen again. We won't bother you. <laughs> we won't solicit you. And just don't write us a negative review. Also, if you could tell your friends, word of mouth is huge, especially for a, a small up-and-coming podcasts like our own. For example, if you have any friends who are like, oh, March Madness is so fun, but why isn't there a version of the March Madness bracket where lead singers compete in a theoretical 
battle royale towards finding the best lead singer of all time in subjective slash objective selections by two music nerds. Why doesn't that exist? You can say, wait, friend, it does. Go to level4media.net. And the first two rounds are out already. The third round is to come. Third round's coming later this Sweet week. Sweet 16's on its way. Also, if you have a keyboardist who would be interested in joining our U2 cover band, Q2, send them our way. Yeah, we're looking for a keyboard player. The last one dropped out. He, uh, his, his youngest daughter got started with softball. <laughs> so he didn't have time. He has to bring her to practice. But um, yeah, Q2 is loss. taking off. Q2, you know, They're getting down their cover of pride in the name of love. Once they can't hit those high notes, that like you said, gotta play. In they the lower pitched key. it down. They yep. pitched it down. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's it for us this time. <laughs> Thank you for listening. See you Thanks next everybody. Week. I talked over you again, didn't I? <laughs> Try it again. See you next week. There we go. end up using it we've been coming up dry the last few weeks for our i think it's because there's an expectation there is an expectation now like we've told there's people a, about it there's a there's, we've reached a point of excellence and and to match that with every every post podcast like discussion thing like it's gonna be tough we basically had a run of like rubber soul to abbey road of like great post show yeah things this is the let it be session. This is where we're just kind of railing against Our each other. Our hair's frazzled. We like we we've grown out full beards. Yeah, dude, you're here with Yoko. Yeah, and like you are sneaky addicted to like heroin, but <laughs> I think I don't think you like like shoot it. I don't know. I think I think I think John I think John did heroin in like the late days. I think that's what like happiness is a warm gun is partially about like the trigger and stuff. It's yeah. also a double entendre. But I think he was like starting to dabble with. Heroin. Not good stuff. No, no. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, on that note. I'm ready to go. All right. I'm good. I'm good. All right, I'm counting. Let's bring the energy today. Okay. Let's okay. bring, the, bring the, the, the fire. Okay. All right. Three, two, one.